I could think of no better way to end a Sunday than celebrating the baptism of 10 people. It was an awesome, awesome day. Incredible to see God working and moving. And this is why we exist. We exist. We want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. And we believe that God's unconditional love is a person, and his name is Jesus. And we've been spending um, all of this year talking about Jesus, and we've been looking at Jesus through the eyes of one of the people who wrote about him, who followed him closely. His name was John. And much of what we've done so far this year has really been looking at what Jesus did, the way he taught, the things he said. We've been looking at his miracles, his sacrifice for us, uh, the people that he interacted with, um, and also where he went. Um, But this series, we're looking at a little differently. We're looking at who Jesus said he was, who he declared himself to be. And and we call this series the I Am series, and these are different statements. But we're not just looking at who he declared to be, but we're also looking at the hope that this brings us. These declarations, ah, just don't worry about it, just leave it. (laughs) And my prayer for you and for me is that this hope, that, that we will find hope in this amazing relationship that Jesus invites us into. And that's what we're going to look at today through this I Am statement. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, if you have your phones with you, we're going to be in John chapter 10. And Dustin read some of this last week. And so we're going to revisit a part of what Dustin read last week where Jesus talks about the fact that he is the good shepherd. So you can follow along on the screen. I am. And the good shepherd, this is Jesus speaking, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The the wolf scatters the flock and the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know My sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay my life down, I lay my life, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. To better understand what Jesus is talking about in this passage, I think it's really important that we understand the relationship between a shepherd and sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but I've not really hung out with any shepherds before. I don't know any shepherds. Maybe there's a shepherd in the room Um, But I have done some digging on this and looking into this. And unfortunately, I think we get a misunderstanding of of sheep. Um, I think sometimes sheep get a bad rap. Um, When we hear the word sheep, we think dumb, like sheep are dumb animals. And I don't know that sheep are necessarily dumb as much as sheep are deeply dependent. They're very dependent. 
Let me, let me illustrate it this way. You know, sheep have to be cared for. Uh, there's a picture that's going to pop up here. This is Shrek. Shrek was a, a sheep that decided to uh, exp- explore some independence, let's say. And for six years, uh, Shrek was kind of on his own. And if you don't know much about sheep, sheep have to be shorn. Um, this is six years worth of growth that Shrek had, which equaled 60 pounds of wool that ultimately produced 22 suits. Sheep have to be cared for. Sheep have to be led uh, because sheep have a tendency to fall into holes. And sheep have to be led in the sense that what I understand is sheep will only graze in a certain area, and once that area is completely grazed, they will continue to graze in that area, even though there's no grass, they'll eat uh, whatever leftovers, <laughs> let's say, from other sheep, and they will ultimately starve to death, even though there may be green grass within sight. Sheep have to be led. And if sheep aren't led, sheep tend to follow one another. And in fact, they will even follow each other off a cliff. And sheep have to be protected. I don't know about you, but there's probably not a huge fear that you have of sheep. They're not on the top list of ferocious animals. But sheep have to be protected. And so for, in order for sheep to survive, sheep need a shepherd. Since sheep are so dependent, shepherds usually live with their sheep. They lead them, they care for them, and they protect them. And the foundation of the relationship between shepherd and sheep is complete and utter trust. Now, you and I would probably hate to admit this, but we have a lot of things in common with sheep. If you're really honest with yourself and you really dig deep, you realize that we too are completely dependent. We are, people are just completely dependent. We have a lot in common for sheep. We need to be led. We need to be cared for and we need to be protected. And what we see in this passage is Jesus is the shepherd that we can trust. Because Jesus doesn't just live with the sheep, Jesus dies for the sheep. Now let me explore this a little bit. Jesus talks about the wolf that comes and the hired hand that leaves. And a lot of times people read this passage and they think that the wolf just represents troubles or challenges in the world. No, this wolf is so much more. The wolf that Jesus is talking about is sin and death. And sin separates us and scatters us. And scattered sheep die. And and we too die. This is what happened in the very beginning with Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God and the aid of the tree. Sin entered the world and it scattered them, it separated them from God and it led to a spiritual death and ultimately it led to a physical death. And, And it's been that way ever since. You see, all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us, every person who's ever lived and every person who will live. All of us have sinned. And the consequence of that sin is death. 
The wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23. And the only one who can rescue us from that condition, and this is why we're all dependent, the only one who can rescue us from that wolf of sin and death is Jesus. And the only way he did this was to sacrifice himself willingly on the cross. That's what this passage says. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. I willingly, I lay it down of my own accord. This is the essence of what the gospel is. The gospel is a story of of people who are completely helpless, who are separated from God because of our sin. And, And the only way that we could be reconciled with God is God himself in the person of Jesus became flesh and he dwelt with us and he lived this perfect sinless life and he willingly laid that life down for us so that we could have life with God and with him. But he didn't stop there. He also raised from the dead, raised himself up, like this passage says, I laid my down life, I laid down my life only to take it up again. Jesus conquered death So we no longer have to fear death. We can trust Jesus because he died the death that we deserve so that we can have life with God, so we can be reconciled with him. We are no longer, we no longer have to be scattered. We no longer have to be on our own. And who else does this for us? Who else does this for us? The answer is no one what the passage says the hired hand there's many many hired hands there's a lot of hired hands that we tend to look to and Dustin talked about this last week there's a lot of saviors that we try to pursue a lot of religions out there that claim to be the way and the only one who actually died for us in our place so that we could be reconciled with God is Jesus This is why we celebrate communion. It's the time that we remember this sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the bread that represents his body that was broken, uh, the juice that represents his blood that was shed. We remember that. It's why we celebrate baptisms that we just watch as represents the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus as we identify ourselves with what he did for us. And this is why the symbol of the cross is so important and so central to our belief is because through this instrument of torture and death is the promise of life. It's an amazing paradox. And because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the sacrifice that he's made for us, because he's died and he's given us this promise of life, Jesus is the shepherd that we must follow. Jesus is the shepherd that we must follow. In those days, what they would do is outside a town or a village, um, because shepherds didn't have a lot of money, um, you know, Dustin talked a lot about last week about when the shepherd would go out, he would create this little area, and then he would lay across, uh, the shepherd himself would lay across as the gate. Well, in a town or village, what they did is they would have these common pens, and and the shepherds would just bring all of their sheep, all these different herds would come in into these common pens outside a town or a village. Um, And you would be like, well, how in the world do they figure out 
Whose sheep are whose? How do you sort that out? Well, sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so the sheep would just simply, a shepherd would just simply call out to his sheep. And the sheep would come out of the pen and follow him. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, the sheep listen to my voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The image that Jesus is painting here. And, and later he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. So they too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. What Jesus is describing here is really the hope, unless, unless, you, are, uh, unless you are orthodox, you know, trace your bloodline back to uh, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, that's the rest of us. We've all been called out by the shepherd. The, the Gentiles is what he's referring to, the non-Jewish people. And what does this mean to listen to the voice of Jesus? Oftentimes, we just kind of simply dismiss this, or we just kind of like overlook this. So, yeah, I just, I, I, I listen to Jesus, but what does this really mean? What it means is that we follow him. We follow him. John 12, 26 says this, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be also. And in Matthew 1624, he says it this way, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That, that's what this means, is to follow him, to listen to his voice, to follow and go where he goes. And sometimes we look at what Jesus says and we treat it as good advice or, or maybe even a suggestion. And when it's convenient for us and it, and it makes sense in our lives, Maybe we will choose to follow that, but Jesus doesn't leave room for that. You see, following Jesus means obeying him. Following Jesus means obeying him. And, and, and some of you today may be sitting here and think, aha, this is that moment, right? Where we start talking about the rules. Yeah. But, but understand that, unfortunately, this is taught so poorly and so misunderstood of what it means to obey Jesus, because a lot of times we get it backwards. We think that somehow we have to obey to be in, or somehow we have to obey in order to be loved, or we have to earn our way in by obeying what God says, and it's not that way at all. We obey because of what Jesus has already done for us. The work he did on the cross was complete. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And our obedience is born out of this love and this desire and this deep trust because he sacrificed his life for us that we are able to follow him. And we think that obeying Jesus, that somehow that sucks the fun out of life and the fun out of the room and it restricts our freedom. The truth is obeying Jesus really gives you true freedom. An unbelievable freedom. Obeying Jesus is our response to what he has done for us. He gave up his life so that we could experience life. And he talks about this, and right before we, he talks about being the good shepherd, he says this, he says, I have come that they, that's us, all, everybody, people, that they may have life and they can have it to the full. It's the idea that what Jesus has done for us and when we follow him and we obey him, we get to experience life the way he meant it to be. It's not a future promise. It's not a promise about what's, what's coming down the road. It's not a promise about, 
you know, what heaven's going to be like. It's a promise for here and now. It's, it's an abundant life that we get to live now. And, and Jesus brings us freedom from the weight and the chains that sin brings in our lives. And Jesus demonstrates his love for us by dying for us. And the way we demonstrate our love to him is by obeying him. Listen to what he says, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And later in the same chapter, John 14, 23, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. It's like Jesus' love language is obedience. It's the way that we demonstrate our love for him. It, and I want to just take a minute and look super quick at the longest sermon that Jesus, or the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as just an example of the freedom obeying and following Jesus makes. And I'm just going to hit the highlights, okay? We're going to, so stick with me. We're going to do a highlight reel of this. Jesus tells us that following him looks like not remaining angry with somebody else, but being fully reconciled with that person. And what that does is it frees us from bitterness. Following him looks like not seeking revenge, and that frees us from that all struggle of trying to get even. Have you ever tried to get even with somebody? It never works out well. Following him looks like loving our enemies. Ooh, that's a hard one. But you know what that frees us from? That frees us from hate. Following him looks like being generous and not flaunting it. And that frees us from comparison. Following him looks like living for what is eternal rather than living what's, for what's temporary. And that frees us from chasing things that will never fulfill us. Things that will always break. Things that will always rust. Things that will always corrode. Things that we can never find true fulfillment in. Following him frees us from worry. How many of you like to worry? You like to worry. Like you find joy in worry. I didn't ask how many of you worry because everybody should hold their hand up, right? I'm just saying, how many of you find joy in worry? Following Jesus frees you from worry. And following Jesus frees us from self-righteousness, that need to judge others. That constant, I'm better than, I'm not as bad as. That's what following Jesus does. What would your life, just taking these few examples of what Jesus teaches us in this one message, what would your life be like if you were freed from those things? That's true freedom. But it takes trust. I want to look at this from another angle. There's this Really great psalm. It may be familiar to you. It may not be. A lot of times this is read at funerals. Um, I don't understand. I've read it at funerals myself. I don't understand why we read it at funerals, but we sometimes do. I think it's because it's comforting. But Psalm 23, and, and just as a side note, so when Jesus says he's the good shepherd, he's speaking to a group of religious leaders, uh, Jewish religious leaders, and instantly what they would have thought of is this psalm. Wait a second, Jesus is saying that he's God? Because <laughs> this is what David's referring to. 
Yes, he is. The 23rd Psalm says this, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That's, that's freedom. To have everything, not everything you want, to have everything that you need. And he expounds on it. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He provides your daily needs. Not only does he do that, but then he also refreshes your soul. And if that weren't enough, he guides you along right paths for his name's sake. He leads you the way that he wants you to go. He leads you in right paths. So don't miss the connection here because some of those paths are actually through a dark valley. Sometimes these are separated. There's the right paths and there's the dark valley. No, it's all one path. But there's an assurance that comes with this that even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though those paths may take me through those dark moments or some translations, maybe one that you're familiar with says the valley of the shadow of death. I don't have to fear anything. I will fear no evil because why? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. Now, my wife Wendy explained this to me out of a study that she was doing because, again, the anointing with oil thing sounds sticky and doesn't sound horribly pleasant, but this was super important for sheep. This was refreshing for sheep when a shepherd would do this to his sheep because what it would do is that coating would protect the sheep from the flies and the parasites that would come. And they wouldn't have to constantly try to scratch or itch their head. It was completely refreshing. It keeps the annoyances away. And then get this. My cup overflows. God provides more than enough. And out of that abundance is what we are able to give others. Surely goodness and mercy... Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Now get this. Get this. The image of this is not like this, like, just kind of like this thing that tails behind you, this goodness and love thing. I mean, this is like a pursuit notion. Like there's a lot of things in life that pursues us that's not goodness and love. How cool is it to think about the fact that following Jesus there's like this pursuit of goodness and love that's like tailing behind you all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what following Jesus, that's the imagery of following Jesus. It's not, it's not ponies and bubbles. But he promises to be with us. He promise, promises to provide our needs, our daily needs. But unfortunately, many times, probably some of you can relate more to the picture of Shrek right now. Like this is the image that when you think about your life, this is what it feels like. The, the weight and the burden of life. 
the weight and the burden of all of the things that we tend to carry in life. And, and Jesus says these incredible words in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, that's a weird phrase for us because we don't, again, not a lot of cattle folk in this room, right? The idea of the yoke is the teaching. It's the imagery of teaching, the teachings of Jesus. Take my teaching upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my teaching, what I've called you to do, my when I call you to obey me, my teaching is easy and my burden is light. I love the message translation of that. It's not going to appear on your screen, but the message says this. Are you tired? Worn out? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I want to make this super practical. One of the things that I've wrestled with my entire life is control. I am a control freak. I have been since I was young. I'm not going to point fingers or blame anybody, but it's just something that has developed in me, that need and that desire to, to be in control, to have control. And, and this shows itself in many different ways, and it rubs people the wrong way sometimes. It offends. I've offended people through this. I've overstepped areas of relationship. But when I know that this is out of control for me, it is two things come to light. One is worry. Worry all the time. And, and the second one is anger. Worry comes because I, I don't, if it's something I can't control, I worry about it, right? Because that's what we do. We worry about those things that we can't control or we don't know what the outcome is. And anger comes from the fact that it doesn't come out the way that I really think it should. <laughs> or someone doesn't act the way they should, I think they should, or whatever it is. Worry and anger. And, and what God has been doing in my life over the last five years, is he's interjected different things in my life that I have no control over. And what I've slowly realized through this is the illusion of control is simply that, it's an illusion. We have no control. As much as we want to grab hold of things, as much as we want to be in control, we have no control. We are utterly dependent. 
Can I express to you how freeing that is? To acknowledge the fact that I am not in control? To be able to, as some people say, let go and let God? It's an amazing freedom that comes, but it's a daily battle for me. Our, our shepherd team does an evaluation of, of, our, of, of myself. They, they do an annual evaluation. And, and one of the things that continues to pop up in my evaluation is the fact that I still struggle with this control thing. And God's working on me with this. As I follow Jesus and I realize that he is control, but really what that comes down to is completely trusting Completely trusting him. It's an even if kind of trust. Even if it doesn't come out the way I want it to, I still trust you. Even if the outcome isn't what I think it should be, I will still trust you. Because you have given everything for me. You have given your own life for me. Why wouldn't I think that everywhere he leads me is a good thing? And my question I'm asking you this morning is this. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? And if you will trust him, will you follow him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you for Jesus and for the hope that he gives us. And Father, I just pray right now, if there are those that are still new to this, that have been burnt by religion and faith, God, I pray that you would just continue to work and move and reveal who you are and who Jesus is. And Father, for those of us doing this a long time and we continue to fall back sometimes on our own habits and we tend to lean on our own strength. God, I pray that you would just move us beyond that, that we know that we can trust you because you are the good shepherd and that we can fully lean on you. And even though sometimes we walk through the darkest valley, God, we know that you are with us. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.